tonight I want to talk to you about anxiety. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me too. And I hope you're ready to get live because we get excited about the Word of God in here. Philippians chapter 4. Amen. That's right. We don't get excited about a speaker. We don't get excited about a band, even though those good things are great. We get excited about the Word of God. That's why we're here. It's the Word of God. doesn't matter who's preaching it. We're here for the Word of God. So Philippians chapter 4, and if you're taking notes, I hope that you are because I have a lot that I want you to write down. You see this right here. Oh, faithful. Got the whiteboard out tonight. We're going to do a little bit of drawing. Oh, yeah, there's a further shot of the whiteboard. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down at the top. Anxiety and Jesus, colon, part one. Anxiety and Jesus, colon, part one. And we are going to spend the next two weeks talking about what does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say? What does Jesus Christ say about anxiety? Because if you know your Bible, you'll know Jesus, Paul, the Old Testament and the New Testament have a lot to say about worrying, doesn't it? I mean, it has a lot to say about anxiety. It's not an issue that's glossed over by any means. Anxiety is addressed, and in fact, the cure for anxiety is given. Now, as you're getting ready to take notes, I want to let you know, this past weekend, as I prepared for this sermon, to be very honest with you, I found myself very anxious. I found myself very anxious. Uh, it felt like my world had been turned upside down. Me and my wife, we did not have power for five straight days. And our apartment complex, the lights were completely out, of course, that's what not having power means, but had no hot water, and we tried to sleep through it, and it was really tough. It kept getting colder and colder, and so we eventually, finally, went and slept somewhere else last night, but it's been a long weekend, and I found myself getting very anxious. I don't know how you are, but when I sleep, I cannot, for the life of me, sleep in silence. I have to have a fan on. Can I get an amen tonight? Listen, there's some people in here who sleep in silence. Those people are your psychopaths. <laughs> Just kidding. I can't sleep in silence. Since I've been a kid, I turn a fan on, and they'll try to sell me fans in Target. They're like, listen, this one will not make a sound at all. And I'm like, I don't want that. <laughs> You're wrong pitch. I want it to be loud. I need Noise. I need sound when I sleep. This is how bad it is. I'm not exaggerating this. You can ask my wife. In the middle of the night, when the power goes out, if the fan cuts off, I wake up. <laughs> You're like, Daniel, you sound like the psychopath. <laughs> I'm a light sleeper. Like, I need sound. So one, when the power went out, just a few months ago, the fan shut off, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was like, Hannah, we got to do something because I can't sleep. I struggle with that. I struggle with that. So it's been a long few days, but I found myself anxious over this past weekend. My routine, my plan, my schedule, how I wanted things to go was disrupted. And how many of you know we are people who love our plans? All right? We talked about that last week. We don't even know if we have a tomorrow. Somebody's clapping for that. They're like, yeah, Daniel, I'll show you my five-year right now. <laughs> like, yes, I got it all mapped out. We love our plans but we don't even know if we have tomorrow. Well, I love my plans, and when my plans, Ibuka, are disturbed, I'm not a very happy camper. And I found myself angry, I found myself frustrated, I found myself uh, anxious and worried and frustrated and tense, and I sat down to read the Word. I did my quiet time, I spent some time with the Lord, and then I was getting ready to study for the final copy of this sermon, and of course, how it always goes, 
the very first verse that we're gonna look at tonight. We're not getting into it yet, but I'll go ahead and put it on the screen. The very first verse that I sat down to read after an entire weekend of anxiety and stress was this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And I sat there in the hotel room. I said, ah, God got me again. (laughs) It wasn't the truth I was looking for. It wasn't the truth I was prepared for. It was the truth he gave me. And as clear as day, if I can let you into my world, if I can be transparent, if I can tell you what, what God laid on my heart through scripture, this is what he said to me in this moment, this conviction, okay? I believe it's for you as well to a certain degree. He impressed on my heart as clear as day. Daniel, I have commanded you to rejoice always, so why do you only rejoice when things are going your way? Clear as day. Clear as day. I sat there. I said, this verse does not say rejoice always unless you run out of hot water. Then you can complain. It's cool. It's fine. It doesn't say rejoice always as long as the power's on. If the power goes out, then you can act a fool. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. It says rejoice always. And then Paul reiterates it. I will say again, rejoice. Rejoice. I was writing this down and I realized for me and for a lot of college students in this room, there are a lot of us who our joy, our rejoicing is dependent on our situations. But I want you to understand this great truth. What we're gonna see tonight, if I give it to you in one sentence, here it is. Scriptural joy is not a situational joy. The joy that's defined in scripture is not a situational joy, meaning the joy that Jesus Christ talks about does not change based on your situations. It just doesn't. Paul says, hey, the joy that you have should be there at all times regardless of your situations. However, if we're gonna be honest tonight, if we're gonna be real, for a lot of us, our joy only happens when things are going good and then as soon as something happens where things are not going good, where they're not going how we want them to, we, we give up our joy, we stop rejoicing, and we stop cheering on the Lord. We stop cheering on what he does. In fact, God bless you. Here in Philippians 4, when the term uses joy, it's used in the sense of celebration. It's a celebration. If you really study that verse, you'll find that it's ta- Paul's talking about celebrating, which means... No matter your situation, Paul says you have a reason to celebrate, but for a lot of college students, all we do is complain. We whine, we moan, and I'm in the same boat with you, and we complain, we don't celebrate as if God is not good. One of the things that I think will come up on the screen is this. The only way to see if routine and comfort are an idol to you is to have it taken away and then see how you respond. What happens when your routine and your comfort is taken away? Is it all anxiousness? Is it all worry? Is it all fear? Is it all dread, right? Is it like the worst thing possible that my plans have fallen through? Or do you respond how scripture says respond? Rejoice, have joy. Even in the midst of trials, you can count it all joy, my brothers, because God is good no matter your circumstances. Understand this. If your joy is based on circumstances, you won't have joy very long. If your joy is based on the character of God, you'll have joy for the rest of your life. So tonight, in the lens of anxiety and worry, let's turn our attention to Philippians chapter four. Now understand this. We live in a generation that idolizes our way and our schedule, and when that's disturbed, we worry and we get angry. And as we start a two-week study on anxiety, I wanna be very clear from the beginning, and I wanna say this as clearly as I can. Some of us suffer from anxiety medically. 
And that needs to be stated. That's a, that's a real thing. There's some of us in the room tonight who struggle with anxiety medically, meaning there's some of us who we submit to God, we pray, we fast, we seek the Lord, but we suffer from anxiety due to a chemical imbalance that has to be treated by medicine. Now, I wanna state that very clearly. On the flip side, just because you see a doctor and get on medicine doesn't mean that the fearful and anxious thoughts go away after that immediately. Right? You still, at the core of it, Peace comes from submitting to the Lord, to knowing Jesus Christ, to knowing who you are. So let me address that from the very beginning. There, there are those who are on medicine for anxiety due to a chemical imbalance. However, there's a lot of us in the room who struggle with anxiety and worry, and it's not a medical issue. It's a trust issue in our relationship with God. For a lot of us, we have elevated anxiety and kind of made it an idol. Now, I want to tell you, I'm, this is not Daniel's opinion tonight, but I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. And some of us have idolized anxiety to the point where we use it as an excuse. And that's not okay. So, let's dig in. In Philippians chapter 4, you have to understand the church in Philippi is under attack. <laughs> Paul's not telling them to celebrate when everything is rosy and peachy and things are looking up and it's sunny and it's nice. They're under attack. Watch this. They're facing the opposition, Savannah, from within and without of the church. There's attacks within, there's attacks without. How many of you know the devil's plan against the church is not just to attack it from the outside, but to attack it from the inside? Have you realized that yet? That's why believers still struggle with cliques and division and jealousy, right? We still have flesh. We struggle with these things, and the enemy would love to disrupt the church a lot of times from within. It's nothing new. It's been happening for 2,000 years. When it happens to us, we think it, we act like it's the newest thing that's ever happened. It's nothing new. The devil has been causing problems far longer than you and I have had breath in our lungs. He's been doing it. So when Paul tells them to celebrate, understand this very clearly. They're in the middle of trials from within and without. And yet his exhortation is to rejoice always, and he says it twice. Now look with me, if you will, at chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Verse five, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Let's keep this up on the screen. You know what this means? When Paul says rejoice, let your graciousness be known to everyone, that means when you're worried or anxious, that doesn't give you permission to go around and make other people anxious too worry too. Because the old saying, misery loves company, is very true. The devil's in the garden tempting Adam and Eve for a reason. Misery loves company. A lot of us, when we get anxious and worried, the first thing we do is try to bring somebody else down with it too, so that we have company. Paul says, your graciousness should be known to everyone right after telling them to rejoice, which means how we interact with his people is important. Now it gets very fascinating. Look at this. He says, the Lord is near. There's an emphasis here on where God is. I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but I would encourage you to underline that verse. That's one of the most important statements in this passage of chapter four. The Lord is near because it's directly after this statement that Paul says the verses we all put on T-shirts and coffee mugs. Verse six, I have nothing wrong with T-shirts or coffee mugs either. Don't worry about anything. Cole, don't worry about anything. Do you know what that means when you study it in the Greek? It means don't worry about anything. That's exactly what that means. 
Don't worry about anything. Not some things, not part-time. The command is very clear. Don't worry about anything. And then look, as if anything isn't clear enough, he says, but in everything. Do you know what everything means? <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all might not like me after tonight, and that's okay. I blame it on the word of God. Everything. It means everything. It doesn't mean some things. It means everything. Through, and then Paul gets practical action steps we're gonna dig, dig into tonight. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. How many times do we pray and there's no thankfulness in our prayers? Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then another powerful verse that many of us know, verse seven. And the peace of God. Say peace of God with me. Here we go. Peace of God. How many of you would love to have the peace of God in your life? I do. I do. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful text, am I right? What a beautiful text, let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we, we desire to know you, we desire to know truth. And Lord, we don't wanna hear my opinion, we don't wanna hear Daniel. God, I pray that you would speak tonight through your word and have every word. Father, I know that there are those in the room who are not Christians. God, I thank you for bringing them here tonight. I hope that they feel and sense welcomed to our community and that they're loved here tonight. God, I do pray that you would open up the eyes of our heart to see that you are very real, that the resurrection of Jesus cannot be disproved and hasn't been for 2,000 years, Lord. And, and God, I just pray for everyone here tonight. I thank you for bringing us here, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would bind the enemy in the name of Jesus from this place. I pray against any distractions. Lord, I pray against any discouragement. God, we come to you, we approach the throne boldly, and we pray, dear God, right now that you would soften our hearts to not be anxious, to not worry, to not be afraid. But Lord, in everything, we would pray. So Father, we love you. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. One more time, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. We may disagree about what the Bible means and what it says. That's okay. We're glad you're here tonight. Here at The View, we do believe that the Bible is the word of God and that it is, it is truth. It doesn't just contain truth, it is truth. So we're gonna go to the Bible to see what it says about anxiety and live from there. Point number one, a worried heart is not a worshiping heart. The very first thing we have to understand is that a worried heart is not a worshiping heart. It's worrying something, but it's not, it's worshiping something, but it's not worshiping God. It's not a heart that's submitted to the Lord. Now, we're gonna work through a few things tonight. I wanna encourage you. I believe this sermon is so important. Your phone, any distractions, whatever may distract you, do not disturb, put it under your seat. Don't, I, I really am praying you don't miss what God has for you tonight. I, I believe this is really important. So lock in with me as best as you can. Anxiety is a word we throw around a lot. We often misuse it or use it as an excuse. I wanna give you an informal definition. I want you to write this down as well or take a picture, whatever's easiest for you. An informal definition is this. Anxiety is a form of fear in which the person perceived a threat of danger to, look at this, three things, themselves, someone they, cher someone they cherish, or something they cherish. Anxiety is a form of fear in which the person perceived a threat of danger to themselves, someone they cherish, or something they cherish. So write this down as well. It won't be on the screen. Whenever you hear the word anxiety, 
you should immediately associate it with the word threat. Anxiety, threat. I wanna give a major shout out to Andrew Cross, our young adults pastor here, who helped me with a lot of resources tonight. Anxiety means threat. That means that a threat has arisen. A threat has arrived. Now, there's a big difference, though, between fear, when we get afraid, and worry and anxiety. And I wanna break these down for you. This is an incredible quote given to me by Cross that I loved. It'll be on the screen. Our word fear doesn't discriminate between, take a picture of this if you will too. It's, it's a long one to write down, but I want you to have this. Our word fear doesn't discriminate between threats that are present or future, real or perceived, but here's the difference. Watch this, it's very fascinating. It usually says, I am in danger. Anxiety and worry, this is fascinating, I'm telling you, are less oriented to the present, okay? Anxiety and worry is not so much about the here and now, like fear is. Anxiety and worry say this, I think there will be a danger. Or something or someone I love might be threatened in the future. Now you know as well as I do, these are very different things. To say I am in danger or to say there might be danger soon are two completely different statements. When you're in the jungle, there's a big difference to there's a lion in front of me about to eat me right now versus there might be some lions out here. We need to be safe. There's a difference. There's a big difference. So what this means is when it comes to anxiety and worry is that very often our anxiety and our worry is simply based on what might happen. A lot of your worrying and your anxiety and mine too is based on hypothetical scenarios. It's based on things that we're assuming could happen. It's based on things that we're making up in my mind. It's future danger. A large portion of our worries are centered on this. I might come into contact with danger which brings a whole lot of social anxiety, which makes it hard to walk into a place like this. I don't know if you're familiar with the things that are online right now about the metaverse and virtual reality and the major steps that are, that are happening. I'm not one of those gurus that know everything about the metaverse, but it's very fascinating how the metaverse and virtual reality are increasing in popularity, right? Isn't that wild? Our parents can't even fathom it. They're like, metaverse? Is that a car tire? <laughs> metaverse? But it's this online world and it's appealing to a lot of people because you take away a whole lot of the risk that happens compared to walking in those doors. At any point, you can log off and you're in your living room. But when you walk in those doors into a room like this, it's a whole lot harder to get out, isn't it? And that's why for me, for years, for seven years of my life, I struggle with social anxiety very, very badly. For me to go to a school dance was the worst nightmare of my life. The last thing, I'm telling you, you're like, are you serious? That's why I tell people all the time, they come up, they're like, man, thanks for that sermon. I'm like, thank God, because I hate public speaking. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to sound cute. For seven years of my life, I was terrified to walk into a place that had more than five, 10 people. So I stayed home. I avoided the risk. Why? Because in my mind, this is what would happen. When it came to me coming to the view like this, my mind would suddenly make up a whole lot of these hypothetical scenarios of what might happen. What if I sit alone? What if I don't have nobody to talk to? What if somebody says something to me? What if somebody starts to have beef with me? I gotta be prepared for a response and I wasn't quick on my feet. There's girls there. <laughs> all my clothes are too baggy. <laughs> what are they gonna say about my clothes? And all these thoughts would keep me from being a part of social gatherings. And you know what? I'm not the only one in the room like this. <laughs> and I can hear some of you right now. I'm glad I'm not like that. <laughs> 
I'll tell you this. I've seen some of the biggest extroverts and some of the biggest personalities in the world, the loudest people, I'm not down on them, I'm loud. I've seen some of the loudest people have social anxiety. Say, Daniel, how? I, I got no problem walking into a place. I'm the life of the party. Oh, I know. I've seen the life of the party have social anxiety whenever they're told to go share the gospel with somebody. I'm not just preaching to the quiet, shy people. This is for everybody. I've seen the life of the party freeze up when it's time to tell somebody about Jesus. Social anxiety is not just about whether you're loud or not. It's about you and how you interact with the people in your life. And this is a very real thing. And we need to be aware of this. We need to be aware of these anxieties that happen within us. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Anxiety equals threat, all caps. That means that there is some kind of threat that has happened. Or some kind of threat that you believe might happen. Now, the statistics on this are crazy. And in doing some study on this, Robbie Gallaty did a study and found some statistics on worrying that I thought were very fascinating. The first one is this. 40% of what we worry about never happens. So understand this. A recent study found 40% of what we worry about never happens. These are the what-if scenarios that we're going to get into in a minute. 40% never happens. Not only that, 30% of what we worry about deals with the past. So 30% of our worries, we're looking in the rearview mirror. Even larger than that, only 8% of our worries were found to be actual, legit concerns. Which means in this study, 92% of what we worry about was found to literally be wasted time. So let's be real. Do you feel like you waste any time worrying? Are there any hypothetical what-if situations that are just running rampant in your life? Because I'm going to go even deeper. I'll have to erase this. Which one, decode this one? Yes, sir. Okay. This threat. Here's what the Bible says. A lot of your anxiety and a lot of your worry happens when there is a threat to that which you treasure. Whatever your treasure is, whenever you perceive that there is a potential threat, this leads to anxiety and worry and fear. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Verses 19 to 20. This is what it says. Listen very closely. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For Verse 21. For where your treasure is, say this with me if you will, there your heart will be also. So whatever you treasure... When that comes under threat, your response is often anxious thoughts and worrying, and it begins to take over. I would even go so far to say is the reason why our generation is so anxious and so worried all the time, Tucker, is because our treasure is something worldly. Think about this with me for a moment. We treasure worldly things very often. 
I'll give you some examples. If your treasure is having heat during the wintertime, like your pastor, like your college pastor, if your treasure is having heat, right, your ultimate treasure, then when an ice storm comes and that heat is under attack, scripturally what that means is your treasure is not just under attack, but ultimately your heart is under attack. Let's go a step further. What people think of us. People's opinions. If that's your treasure, how often do people's opinions change? Every day. Your opinion changes. Your taste buds change. You don't even like the same food after five, seven years. A lot of us, people's opinions are our treasure. And when we perceive a threat to what they think of us, it's not just attacking our treasure, it's attacking our heart. And we respond with worry, we respond with anxiety. Let's take another one. Money. Somebody said, don't go there. I kind of got to. It's talking about earthly treasure. Jesus spends a lot about money. He spends a lot of time talking about money. Money's great. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So, Money's a good thing. Money's not bad. If money's your treasure, how often does money change? My, I'm not, my wife can't stay off Amazon. <laughs> it's actually me on Amazon, not her. That number in your bank account changed, does it not? You try carrying around some 20s in your wallet. You can find a way to spend it. You're going to have 120 one moment. You're going to have 80 in a moment. So just understand this. If money's your treasure, if you have a family one day and money is your treasure, then when your money comes under threat, your heart is under threat and your whole family begins to be anxious and worried. It's not a crazy concept. It's not hard to understand. But the Bible says that what we treasure is where our heart is and anxiety is simply a threat to your treasure. Career. If your career is your treasure, when you lose your job, you lose your whole identity too. I'm a doctor, and man, my career is fantastic. I'm a surgeon. I lose my job one day, my whole heart's under attack, my whole sense of value and self-worth is under attack. I'm in ministry, I want people to get saved. If your treasure, and this is a good one, this isn't in my notes, if your treasure is seeing people get saved, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that awesome? Nobody would say, oh yeah, of course, you wanna see people get saved, that's amazing. Let me ask this, what happens when you go share the gospel 100 times and not one of them gets saved? Ministry can't be your treasure because ministry will come under threat. And if ministry comes under threat and it's your treasure, your whole heart and your identity is under attack. Going to New York, that's amazing. That's incredible. Praise God. That can't be your treasure. Work at Southern Social, that's amazing. Praise God. Can't be your treasure. College pastor, praise God. Can't be my treasure. What happens when I'm not the college pastor one day? If my identity isn't in it, if it's what I treasure then me and him are gonna be anxious and worried when it's taken away from me one day and God calls me somewhere different. So what is your treasure? Understand this, threat to your treasure is how the enemy gets to your heart. The enemy will threaten your treasure in order to get to your heart. Now, one thing, I, I, I don't believe this will be on the screen, but I want you to write this down. If your ultimate treasure is anything earthly, it's always going to be threatened. And you will always be anxious. Anything, anything earthly, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, 
This is the reason why in our relationships we find ourselves very clingy, very dependent on somebody, very reliant on them for our worth and our value. The reason why is, hey, the relationship you have is good with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, but ultimately they can't be a treasure because that can come under threat too. Job, money, career, everything can come under threat. And if it's your treasure, that's what's going to lead to your worry. So what's your treasure tonight? What I would challenge you is to say, what is your treasure tonight? Is it what people think of you? Your image, your popularity, your fashion, your career. Is there anything you treasure above the Lord? Because if it is, you are opening yourself to a storm of anxiety and worship. Now, let me tell you about the cure. I don't know your treasure, but I know what it should be. In Psalm 27, this is one of the most important things tonight. In Psalm 27, David has an army encamped around him. Have you ever in your life had an army encamped around you? (laughs) Probably not, maybe, but he has an entire army camped around him. He has every reason to be fearful. He has every reason to be anxious. He has every reason to be worried. And yet when you read Psalm 27, decode, there's not one hint of anxiousness or fear or worry. And he has an entire army encamped around him. And in his prayer is the cure for anxiety. Look at this. It says this, Psalm 27, verse one. While an army's around him, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Look, David even addresses it in his prayer. There's an army all around him, yet his heart is not affected. His heart is fine. Watch what he says. He says, this is so good, man. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. We just worship that. We just sang out. You just sang out, I'm confident your faithfulness will see me through. Did you believe it when you sang it? I hope so. I pray so. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you, Sean, for every single person in this room, that when you sing, I'm confident because my identity is in the Lord that you mean it. This is what David says, verse 4. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Now, if you know your Bible, you know this. The temple had not been built yet. Solomon builds the temple. David doesn't even have the idea to build the temple yet. So when David says this, watch this, when David says dwell in the house of the Lord, when he talks about the temple, David is simply talking about dwelling in God's presence. If you know your Bible, you know this. He's talking about dwelling in God's presence. David's treasure in the midst of an army encamped around him, his treasure is God's presence. That's his treasure. Not his career, not his Identity, it's God's presence. College students, God's presence is the one thing that can never come under threat. Everything else you have can come under threat, but the presence of the Lord of God cannot be threatened. There's nothing that can threaten the Lord's presence. So when David says 
that God's presence is why my heart does not have trouble, then college students, we should listen. When David says, hey, I got an army camped around me, and my one prayer is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, it should raise our eyebrows a little bit. If God's presence is your treasure, it can never be threatened, which means in a perfect world, you would never have a reason to get anxious or get worried. Praise God. You would never have a reason to get anxious or get worried. So the reason why we get anxious and worried all the time is because we don't really treasure God's presence. We, plural, me included, we don't treasure God's presence. Daniel, that's a big statement. Don't say that of me. I understand. I also know a whole lot of college students who are not disciplined enough to just wake up in the morning and read their Bible for 30 minutes. We say we, oh, I live for God's presence. I love God's presence, but we can't even spend 30 minutes in his word. Doesn't have to be in the morning, afternoon, night, sitting at the Lord's feet. We don't even make that a priority. And I'm not getting on you, man. I'm in the same boat with you. But if you want to know why you're so worried and so anxious, it's because God's presence is not your treasure. Once God's presence becomes your treasure, there is nothing that can get to your heart. But until that happens, you're going to continue to find yourself worried anxious, and fearful. But once you mature into understanding that the presence of God is always with me, the presence of God does not leave me. When you get to the point of realizing the glory of Romans 8, we read over these verses, we don't even think anything about them because mostly we take God's presence for granted. We don't even read these verses with any awe anymore. We have no reverence for these verses because we take God's presence for granted. But when you find yourself in a hard, dark place, and there's nobody else in this world around you, and you ain't got no money, and you don't know where you're gonna lay your head. These verses might be the two verses that save your life. It's Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, which means, leave this up for a minute, nor things present, nor things to come. In other words, there's no threat now, and there's no threat that can arrive that's going to threaten the presence of God. <laughs> Paul says it right here. There's no threat now and there's no threat coming. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's presence cannot be threatened. That's why right before Paul says, don't worry, he says the Lord is near. Do you think that's a coincidence? The Lord is near, so don't worry. So next time a thought pops into your head of worry and anxiety, remind yourself, if God's presence is with you, then what in the world are you actually worried about? What threat is it? Can anything threaten God? Can anything threaten God? Don't worry about those who kill the body. Fear the one who has power over the soul. The Lord is near. In your notes, I would love for you to write this down before point two. A question. Is God's presence my treasure? And just answer it honestly. I'm not gonna have you bring it up here and let me review it and give you a grade. That'd be a weird college ministry. But is God's presence your treasure? If it's not, it can become your treasure tonight. He is not far from you. Loving the Lord and valuing his presence over anything is not hard to obtain. It happens through prayer and the word. God bless you. Look with me, if you will, at verses five to seven. Let's keep going. Starting in verse six, don't worry about anything. This is Philippians chapter four again. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. 
Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number two, I only got two tonight. Number two, be proactive with your worries, not reactive. An action step, a call to action from Paul. If you want to know what you're supposed to do do tonight, where do you go? Number one, very simple, God's presence has got to be your treasure or you're going to continue to find yourself worried and anxious. But number two, be proactive with your worries, not reactive. Reactive means whatever happens, you just kind of roll with it. And that's a dangerous game to play when it comes to fear and worries. It's a hard, slippery slope. That's tough. Paul says to be proactive. In other words, to pray without ceasing, pray with thanksgiving, think about what you're worried about, and do something about it in prayer. Notice how specific Paul is on being specific. How specific are your prayers? Is it just that kind of toss-up, like, Lord, bless me today, love you, let's go? Which is good throughout the day, but do you ever pray specifically to the Lord? Like, God, here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about what Sally Lou who thinks about me. Lord, here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about my career. Lord, I'm worried about my relationship right now. We're, we're caught in sin. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm repentant of it, but we're still struggling. Lord, I need your help. Do you pray that way? Because, man, there's a whole lot of great power in praying specific prayers. Now, when it comes to your heart, Deco, come on up here. I thought about having DJ do it, but I don't have Deco. Deco, if you will, draw me a heart right here on the right side of this board. Will y'all make some, Deco, make some noise for Deco tonight, amen? Yeah. I was gonna have DJ do it, but I think it'd be funnier to have you do it. Draw, draw a heart up there for me, man, right on that right side. Now, there's a few things I wanna get you. If you got your notes, go to a clean page, and I'm gonna do this very briefly. Yes, a big heart. I got one for you. Find a clean note. Oh, okay. Ah, uh, uh, all right, we'll give it to him, we'll give it to him. Great job, great job. All right, get out of here, all right. <laughs> Just kidding, I love him. There's a couple things I wanna give you. This is called the dynamic heart response model. Write that down, dynamic heart response model. It's some, it's, this is far from mine, this is not mine, but this is a very, very good illustration on anxiety and worry. Now I want you to understand something. There's three functions of the human heart. And you're gonna have to take notes, I'm gonna write it so you can see it. There's three functions of the human heart that happen within your heart. And some of these you know, some of them this may be new to you, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. The first one is cognition. Writing it right here so, so it's not gonna go away, so you can write that in your notes. Three functions on the human heart. The first one is cognition. This is where you have your reasoning. This is where you have your thinking. And I promise I'll get out of the way. This is where you have your believing. Right, you're reasoning, you're thinking, you're believing. I'll write down one for each so to kind of give you the idea. This is where you think, your thoughts, your cognition, your reasoning. The second one is affection. And I'm gonna give you scriptures on each one of these where Jesus shows how our heart operates. The second one is affection. Now we know this one, this is where we have our feelings. This is where we have our emotions. I don't have to really say this to be a shock to you, but how many of you know we live in a very emotion-driven generation, right? A lot of times, emotions are a great passenger. They're a terrible driver. But for a lot of us, feelings are our main driver. But then there's volition. And I hope I don't misspell any of these because that would be very embarrassing. I went to Bartlett, which I'm still very proud of. 
No, we got Bartlett people in here tonight. Anybody went to Bartlett? Amen. Oh, wow. My goodness. We're really struggling in here. We'll go do campus ministry at Bartlett High School. Volition represents our choices, the choices we make. Now, for scripture, let me give you this. Cognition means we're a thinking heart, right? Our heart thinks. In Matthew 9, verse 4, Jesus said this. It said, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? Jesus affirmed that, number one, we're a thinking heart. Your heart thinks. You have thoughts, right? Jesus affirms this. Not only that, though, we have affection. I'm going to try to go slow through these. Affection. We, we are a feeling heart. And praise God, I don't want to down emotions. Emotions are great. We are a feeling heart. We are a feeling heart. There's two verses in John 16. First one is 16.6. Jesus says, sorrow has filled your heart. Right, right here at the end of it. Sorrow has filled your heart. But not only that, in verse 22, Jesus says, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. We are a feeling heart, right? So we're a thinking heart, we're a feeling heart, but last one, our choices, we are an intentional heart. Our heart is intentional. In other words, we make decisions. Acts 5, verse four, when it talks about lying, it says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, choosing to lie. And I wish I had more time to get into this, but we choose to lie or we choose to do good things or bad things depending on how we live. So when it comes to these things, here's the heart model. I want you to fill this in. You got two upper quadrants. You have thoughts. Sorry for my very poor handwriting. You have feelings. And then you have choices. These make up who you are. Your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. These <laughs> radically affect the choices we make. We're not machines, right? Even as a preacher, I can stand up here and preach to you guys over and over and pray without ceasing. When I go out those doors, I'm not a machine. I have to choose to either pray or not to pray, just like you do, right? We have choices. So our thoughts and our feelings affect our choices. Watch. Let's walk through a scenario for a moment, and then let's turn to Scripture to find a solution. I want you to think about the last time you were nervous. Think about it. I mean, really think. I want you to find a scenario. Write it down if you have to. Maybe it's a school dance like me. <laughs> no, that wasn't the last time. <laughs> it was a time. <laughs> it wasn't the last time. When was the last time you were nervous? Think about it. You know? Think about it. Don't shake your head no. You've been nervous. I've seen you. Come up here and finish this sermon. Now you're nervous. <laughs> now you're nervous. I got him. I got him. That's salsa right there, ladies and gentlemen. Think about the last time you were nervous. Let me give you a, let me give you a scenario, okay? First date. Ooh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've had a few. I mean, I've only had one. <laughs> only had one. That was my wife, Anna. <laughs> one and done? Just kidding. I had other dates, sadly. Let's take a first date. Let's say you're going on a date with a really cute guy or a really cute girl. I felt weird to say. <laughs> I felt weird coming off the tongue. Really cute guy. No, not working for me. That's tough. A really cute guy or a really cute girl. All right. Now, they, they seem like a solid believer. They got an ESV study Bible. They got a nice journal. They put their hands up in worship. Not too much. But a decent amount, right? They got good fashion. Seem like they're humble, love the Lord, have joy. You see them serving, right? You're going on a first date. 
You're nervous. You have that nervousness built up in you. I want to walk through possible scenarios. Now, as I walk through this, guys, I know that it's funny, but I want you to understand this can apply to choosing your career. This can apply to how you interact with your friendships. Understand all that. When you have a first date, the very thing that happens are you begin to have thoughts, right? You begin to have thoughts. And I can't write all these all fully out on the board, but I want to get you the idea. One of the first thoughts that you have when you're going on a first date is how I act, how I act will impact if they like me, <laughs> right? You're going to get dinner and you start thinking about, man, how am I going to act on this date? How many jokes do I tell? Like, what do I wear? You start thinking like, like I wrote some jokes for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's amazing Hannah married me. But you start thinking, how I act will impact if they like me. Now. This thought becomes something much more dangerous than that, doesn't it? Watch this. We're going to watch this process. This thought evolves into something else, though. Here's the next thought. What if I mess this up? This is how our thinking goes. Take it with your career. When you're choosing your career, you start thinking, man, I want to choose the career that God wants me to choose. And then that thought goes to, what if I choose the wrong career? Right, we all been there. When I was going through a call to ministry, I was like, what if I'm making the wrong decision? And these thoughts start happening, but they evolve into something dangerous. Now you're not just thinking, what if I mess this up? This becomes a belief. Understand this, your thoughts will become your beliefs. Your thoughts will become your beliefs. So when you start thinking, what if I mess this up? What if I mess this up? What if I mess this up? And anxiety and worry takes over, you begin to buy the lie, I will mess this up up and now you go into this date Fernando not Fernando I don't know if he has one coming up but you go into this date <laughs> you go into this date believing I will mess this up now watch this this takes a disastrous turn is it not here's what happens with your feelings once you believe lies your feelings get disrupted and then you begin to follow them as the driver. How do you feel once you start thinking that? Once you start thinking, I will choose the wrong career. I'm gonna make the wrong decision. Once you start believing, my friends don't really like me. My friends aren't really loyal to me. You start getting paranoid. You start believing lies. What happens is you start to feel shaky. You start to feel unsettled. You start finding yourself insecure. And what happens is your feelings and your thoughts are now combining to live out a lie, which ultimately drives your decision-making. Now that you feel these ways, now that your belief is I will mess this up, and I wanna make sure to get this, you begin to desire things that are not of the Lord. You wanna know why some of your desires seem ungodly and why they stress you out and they worry is because when you get insecure, you begin to desire approval. You begin to desire validation. Let's be honest. When you think I'm gonna mess this up, this day's gonna go terrible, when you're insecure about who you are, you go into it desiring their approval and their validation. When you go into a career you're not really sure about, you begin to desire other people's approval and validation of it when you don't really know if you have the Lord's. And this ungodly desire to want other people's approval and validation ultimately leads us to a choice that we make. And this is why we make so many poor choices. 
because our thoughts are not worshiping God, we're worshiping our thoughts. Our feelings have not bowed to the Lord, they can't because we're bowing to our feelings. And it leads to poor choices. This is my last thing I'm gonna draw up here. I I told you guys, I really do am praying this model, it's helped me, it's helped many believers, and I believe it's gonna help you. Our choices from ungodly thoughts and ungodly feelings lead to passive and active choices. Passive and active choices. A passive response is on that first date, when you start feeling worried and you start feeling anxious, is you just back out. You know what, I'm gonna mess this up anyway. They're not gonna like me. They're not gonna wanna be with me. I'm gonna embarrass myself, so I'm gonna back out. I'm too afraid. Let's take going to the view, right? You start believing the lie. These Christians are gonna judge me. They don't want me there. I'm gonna mess this up. It's gonna be awkward. You start getting fearful. You don't wanna go, so you back out. You never go to the college ministry, which is what happened to me. Passed by the door eight times. Never walked inside because I was buying the lie that I was gonna mess it up and believers were gonna reject me. So I backed out, I went home, my mom asked me, how was the college ministry tonight? It's like, mom, I didn't make it inside the door. Or your choice is more active, and what I wrote right here is you become controlling. Now, if you wanna know why you find yourself manipulating situations, manipulating scenarios, trying to make things go a certain way, right? It's because you've got this planned out in your mind. You think you're gonna mess it up, you're insecure, you're desiring the approval of somebody, so you're gonna control the situation until you get their approval. And what ends up happening on this date is you begin to be not yourself, you begin to be who you think they want you to be. You begin to be who you think they want you to be. You can apply this to any situation in your life. Doesn't have to be a date. A date's a great example because we've all been there with nervousness before a date. Your career, your family. You start to believe the lie. My family is the only messed up family in the world. My family is so dysfunctional. Your identity begins to be insecure. You begin to desire a perfect family like everybody else has and you make a choice to try to control it, but you can't because you can't control people. Social media feeds into this. We have so many thoughts and so many feelings because we're all on social media and there's no filter. We just see all these things coming at us a thousand miles an hour. Thoughts, feelings, choices. Now, one of the quotes I'm gonna put on the screen is this. In order to trust God with your anxiety, you have to see how you aren't trusting him. You were created to worship God. And David realized that in Psalm 27. So when Paul says in chapter four of Philippians, pray, pray specifically, this is what he's meaning. Here's how you do it right. You're going on a date, this thought pops up, this thought pops up. If you begin to pray, the Lord renews your mind as to what truth is. When you're not in prayer, you will obey your thoughts and your feelings when you pray and when you read the word, you'll obey truth. But a lot of college students are not obeying truth or following thoughts or feelings. So when you begin to pray, what if I mess this up, Lord? 
You know what the Lord tells you? If you mess it up, that didn't determine your value or your identity anyway. Is any of your self-worth wrapped up in what that person at Texas Roadhouse on that date thinks of you? The Lord's gonna remind you, is your worth determined by what a first date thinks of you? And you're sitting there like, no, it's not. And all of a sudden, your feelings are no longer insecure and unsettled. But instead, when you're in prayer, you find your foundation in the Lord, and the foundation of the Lord is never unsettled. The foundation of the Lord is never shaky. When God revealed himself, Elizabeth, to his people in Exodus, he said, I am who I am. Jehovah, God is and will always be. In other words, the nature and the character of God cannot be insecure like we are. So when your identity is in God, he is who he is, and that's where you get your value, all of a sudden, you are not desiring approval or validation because you have it from the Lord. When you know you have this from the Lord, you're not gonna desire it from a friend, a loved one, or a first date, or a career. You don't need it, which means your choices now, instead of trying to control a situation, you end up simply trusting. You end up trusting the Lord. And that's how you find yourself, college students, in a place where you're not worried about anything. Because in everything, you trust God. In everything, you trust the Lord. And that's how you overcome anxiety and fear and worry. Now, it's very easy for me to stand up here and say this. It's a whole lot harder to do out in the world. But let me tell you this. When Paul says rejoice at all times, that means it's possible. That means it's possible. We can, Ibuka, we can rejoice always. Your joy does not have to be dependent on this world. So here's my challenge for you. What's your treasure? Is it under threat? If it's God's presence, it's never under threat. And then does God have control of these two things right here? Does God have control of your thoughts? Does God have control of your feelings? If he does, he'll have control over your choices too. Now this is a snapshot. We could talk another two hours about this. Every single Wednesday night, all across the city of Memphis, there are homes opened up to you. Do you realize that? That if you come to The View, every Wednesday night at seven o'clock, there is a house open to you. A house. If you come to The View, there is a house open for you, which means this Wednesday night, our life group teachers are gonna take this right here and they're gonna dig deeper than I can in a 45, 50-minute sermon. (laughs) They're gonna dig deeper and you're gonna be able to ask questions. The question is, are you willing to come out on Wednesday night to dig deeper into this? I pray that you are. I pray that you are. If I could give you one more piece of scripture, because next week's part two, we're not done. I would give you Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. As I know that there are many people in this room tonight who feel beaten up, who feel worn down by their thoughts, who feel worn down by their feelings, who feel worn down by this world, one of the greatest words that have ever come out of Jesus' mouth are probably this, one of. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in, my heart, in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Constance, if you've been worried or anxious, Jesus Christ is the answer. And how you do that 
is you find out where are you anxious and where are you worried and then do something about it in prayer.